0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the Katie copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun, and today's episode is brought to you by NFL Game Pass. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. You can also replay an entire game and catch all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. So go to nfl.com slash game pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. You can find me on Twitter at NFL. You can find the show on on Twitter at Locked on Vikings, and today we are going to have our kind of, this is our rewatch Wednesday, this will be our weekly tradition where we will go really deep into the previous Sunday's game, all the PFF stuff is out, all the stats are out, all the film has been dissected, and there's been plenty of time to go study it all and really come away with the takes that can kind of define the game, and well, this one isn't gonna be too fun, but we gotta do it anyway, so let's go dive into the Colts game and really figure out kind of what happened. And I think with this sort of exercise, it's it's smart to try to come up with a question that we're trying to answer. And I kind of want to relate it back to yesterday's show. If you missed yesterday's show, go listen to it. We talk a lot about the 0-2 curse and kind of the probabilities that, like, are associated with that 0-2 curse and, and kind of what needs to happen what needs to be true if we are going to view the Vikings as a team that can turn it around and can be one of those, like, zombie teams that digs out of the 0-2 hole, and if, you know, these kinds of things can be uh, applied to the Vikings. And I have plenty of skepticism about that, so let's go into the tape and see if we can't find anything. And what we're looking for is stuff that caused the vikings to lose or to look really really bad in this game that isn't sustainable stuff that happened and isn't going to continue to happen so i want to start with a couple of key stats in the game on sunday kurt cousins passed deep 20 plus yards eight times on those he completed two of them for 46 yards and he completed two of them to the indianapolis colts for two interceptions One of those came on a Hail Mary, and we don't really care too much about that. So we'll throw that one out, and we'll say two for seven for 46 yards and a pick, which is still very, very poor. So I think it makes sense to isolate those and look into what happened for example, two of them were just dropped and maybe not dropped in the traditional sense because they were contested catches and most of the places that chart drops will not count it as a drop if it was contested. If cornerback got in there and broke up the pass or disrupted you enough where you didn't catch it even though you had your hands on it, that I think a coach kind of feels like that's a drop, that's a failed completion, it's something that you criticize the wide receiver for, but actually calling it like a drop in name, it probably doesn't get counted as part of the stat, but in spirit, it was dropped. There was the one that Irv Smith dropped over the middle after he got hit by the safety, and the one that Kyle Rudolph dropped down the field after getting his hand sort of yanked back in a a moment of poor officiating, and there were plenty in that game. But both go down as failed completions despite being accurate passes, and that is an unfortunate thing that's going to reflect more on Kirk Cousins than it probably should. The interception, the one we're actually, like, worrying about, was just a heave down the field that seemed to kind of misjudge the timing and misjudge the distance of where Adam Thielen was going to be, and it was very far down the field, so it's an extraordinarily difficult pass into double coverage that Cousins probably shouldn't have attempted in the first place, but By golly, he was going to take a shot, and it didn't work out. It was also Adam Thielen in double coverage kind of turned into a cornerback and actually got a hand on the ball, but it tipped directly into the safety that was lurking behind, and that's also a little bit of a stroke of poor luck. Of course, there were the two completions. Those ones were fine, nice, accurate throws, kind of like what we saw from Kirk Cousins anyways. And the other two were kind of the same, like, timing issue, and it seems like on these deep passes, and generally with the Vikings offense as a whole after looking at all this tape, the Vikings have a timing issue, and this is the kind of issue that tends to crop up when a team is, you know, in its second or third week of the preseason, or, you know, if it's only played two actual games in a stadium, you know, on a field against another team, these are the kinds of problems that you would expect. It is unfortunate that the Vikings seem to be one of the only teams that is suffering from this kind of thing, but it does at least add up that this could be a factor of not having a preseason, and therefore something that could get ironed out as the season goes along. On the flip side, there is a really big problem on the interior of both the defensive line and the offensive line, beginning with the defensive line. A lot of the issues that cropped up were simply just being physically outmatched, and they came from a fairly unsolvable place. You can't just make Jilliel Johnson be stronger. You can't just make Shamar Stefan get blown off the ball less often. That just is kind of intrinsic to how good they are at the position that they're playing right now, and it's a, become a huge problem. The Colts' offense, their, their rushing offense, was predicated on basically as often as they could getting Quentin Nelson to the point of attack and having him blow somebody off the ball and the Vikings don't really have anybody on their roster that can keep up with Quentin Nelson I think this is kind of a failure in the offseason this is a lot to do. I mean, if Michael Pierce was still on the team maybe he would have had a shot but the Vikings also didn't really draft any defensive tackles that were worth taking seriously the only one that they took was in the fourth round James Lynch he's very clearly not ready to play yet and otherwise, they resolved to go with the backups that had been on their roster, Shamar Stefan and Jaleel Johnson and Armin Watts, guys who hadn't really earned a start except for now by default. On the interior offensive line, listen, the offensive line on the whole wasn't bad. Garrett Bradbury had a decent day pass protecting. He had some issues in, in run blocking, uh, but all, all in all, had a, an acceptable day. Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill on the outside were totally fine. Dakota Dozier had all sorts of problems being very late to come off of certain uh, parts of the block to get to the other parts of the block, and Drew Samia was embarrassed up and down the field, and that's been covered pretty well. Similarly, Samia had a ton of power issues as well, and right now the Vikings on both sides of the line have kind of taken a more, like, an agility over power sort of, uh, sort of strategy, and that is kind of backfiring against a team like the Colts that take the opposite. You're kind of trying to play rock-paper-scissors, and rock just beats scissors. That's not going to be true of all matchups, but it's going to be true of a whole bunch of them. A whole bunch of teams have strategies like the Colts, and it seems like the Vikings are pretty weak to that one whereas they may be a little bit more effective against like a finesse sort of team. And I would say the Packers, I mean, they run the same kind of zone scheme that the Vikings run. And so therefore they kind of have, they're interested in similar offensive linemen and things weren't really better against them either. So I think these problems are the kind that I am concerned are going to last throughout the season. And unlike the deep passing, which I would expect to get better, and I would hope the Vikings, uh, you know, stick with that, I wouldn't expect the problems along the interior or uh, interior offensive or defensive line to get better unless they find some talent to infuse. But by week two, everybody who's worth putting on, on a roster more or less is already on a roster. There's no hidden gems sitting out there without anybody paying them without a really good reason for that happening. So I think this is just the kind of thing we have to sit back, deal with, and hope we win in spite of. There is a sort of forgotten element to this, and that's the officiating. And I want to talk a little bit more about the officiating in this game. And I I really, this is not the kind of thing that I would usually like go whine about. And I do think that if you fixed the officiating, the Vikings still absolutely lose the game. So I don't think it excuses it. However, I think it did make the Vikings look probably worse than they actually played, which is meant they looked like really spectacularly bad because they were already pretty bad before this. But I do think it's worth addressing and explaining some of the officiating things that happened in this game that adversely affected the Vikings. Vikings. But first, this film-heavy episode is brought to you by NFL Game Pass. NFL Game Pass is for people who love to watch football, whether it's your team or someone else's team, whether it's Sunday, Wednesday, Tuesday, or whenever you want. You can get it on NFL Game Pass. You could, of course, get the full broadcast all so commercial's cut out. You can get uh, 45-minute condensed games that are basically just snap to whistle, snap to whistle, snap to whistle, and you can uh, rip off a whole bunch of games, as many as you want to watch in an afternoon. And of course, you can also get the coaches film, the all 22, the end zone. This is the same tape that coaches use to build their own game plans. And you can sort of play pretend just like we do on this show. So if you're interested in that, uh, oh, and you can also get all sorts of awesome, like film room content, all of their old library content. And you can hear from the best of the best and, and listen to them break down the game. Guys like Eric Kendricks, guys like Dalvin Cook talking about what they do and how they got so good at this. So if you're interested in that, go to NFL.com slash Game Pass, and you can start a seven-day free trial right now. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. All right, so let's talk about the officiating in this game. And again, I I already mentioned it, but I want to predicate it again because I don't want people to, like, freak out and say that I was, like, trying to make all kinds of excuses or trying to blame the refs for the Vikings being... The Vikings were awful in this game. They got deeply outplayed by a much more physical, much more ready-to-play football team in the Colts, and they absolutely in no way deserved to win this game. I want to be abundantly clear about that. Now that that's out of the way... Holy crap, the refs were bad, and a lot of it adversely affected the Vikings. There was a play on the very first drive the Vikings had. Uh, this one went against, went against the Colts, uh, where Dakota Dozier got away with a hold in the second level. Um, but there was a, a lot more. I mean, the illegal contacts, I think, were a, a, a lot of a story before the story just became like, holy crap, Vikings bad. Um, the illegal contacts, I think, were a huge story here, because in that first drive, that first uh, Colts drive, now the rule of contact is it kind of gives the the referees like as much leeway as they want to throw as many flags as they want. This was like a huge controversy when this rule got updated to include this uh, back in, in 2014. But the rule says that any contact that the defender initiates beyond five yards is flaggable anything any contact not necessarily a push not necessarily a consequential contact and there's actually now a, a, the word inconsequential is in the rule as in it can be a, a, a tap on the shoulder that doesn't reroute the wide receiver at all anything the defender initiates can be flagged for illegal contact five yards and a free first down and that rule has been hated for a long time i definitely still hate it uh but i think there is kind of an unwritten part of the rule where refs are told that, you know kind of only call it if it really affects things right and that's not the letter of the rule they don't have to do that if they don't want to but typically what you see is you know a a corner will put their hand on the wide receiver to keep tabs on them and then you know if it's zone coverage or whatever so they can feel where the wide receiver is going and they can keep their eyes on the quarterback and all that stuff and that's technically illegal contact but a ref's not gonna throw those ticky-tacky flags very often but they did on Sunday and sometimes ref crews will kind of say hey we're not gonna let you get away with illegal contact we saw a bunch of tape you got away with a whole bunch last week or whatever and we're gonna crack down on this time we're gonna crack down on both teams and and i honestly i think that's okay if you're gonna call it really ticky tacky i hate what it does for like the entertainment product i think it slows down the game and chunks it all up and it's just like let the guys freaking put their hands on each other's shoulder pads to keep tabs on each other like whatever uh but as long as it's called evenly between the two teams it doesn't necessarily feel like something that's worth really ever bringing up in a forum like this and it seemed like they were going to be uh, calling these really ticky-tacky things, like all over the field. They had a really ticky-tacky one right away on Jeff Gladney, where he he touched it, and I will maintain till my dying breath that it was within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, an easy enough mistake to make, where you're not, you know, you're not, you're not calling rigged, but holy crap, that's a really bad call. And your job is kind of to be able to judge five yards from the line of scrimmage, right? Uh, so I, I think that that is a really, really bad call. And that actually, the one on Jeff Gladney. Uh, turned a third down stop into a first down and a conversion. There was an interception a couple plays later, so it didn't actually affect things, but it was still this like really high leverage moment. And there was another one on my Hughes that was very similar. It was very ticky-tack. It was like 10 yards down the field, very clearly beyond uh, 5 yards, but it was still another one where there it was definitely in the inconsequential category. And it was very deliberately in defender-initiating contact beyond 5 yards, and it doesn't have to be consequential so you can throw a flag, but you just don't often see that flag thrown which makes it really surprising and really jarring. And honestly, if I were a defense and I were trying to, you know, say, hey, get a little shove in and get away with it and because you get away with it very often. Like, I think that's a legit strategy. And it happened to backfire because this officiating crew wanted to call it really ticky tack. And then I think the one that upsets me, you know, if, if they're going to call that, they're going to call that whatever. And the Vikings played into it. And that's the, you know, there's a, a, a cat and mouse there. Sure. But I think what upset me was on the safety. The safety that Kirk cousins took for one as mike Pereira described on the broadcast they blew that play dead too early in the end zone typically referees are not supposed to blow a play dead when uh you know when when it's like for a safety because guys are gonna try to you know you should probably try to give a quarterback time to or like give them as much time as they need to escape and get out of it and Kirk cousins did get out of it but the play was already blown dead so it didn't matter but I think worse than that, there was a mega blatant illegal contact, and honestly, I would probably call it a defensive holding on B.C. Johnson down the field on that play, and especially when it is a held the ball too long kind of sack. I mean, he was back there for a while. I think it crossed the three-second like threshold where you now don't necessarily expect any offensive lineman to block for more than three seconds. Like that's the like what's reasonable. Uh, then you know that on that kind of play where clearly like coverage has an impact, coverage being aided by an illegal contact and a defensive hold, after you called the tightest, ticky-tackiest, imaginable illegal contacts on the Vikings, just like a series or two earlier, is really, really upsetting. And I don't think it's on purpose. I think this ref crew just missed in a a really bad spot. But if you wanted to be upset about that, I, I, I wouldn't blame you. There is also, like, an element of luck to these kinds of things, because I'm sure if you went through every game, you would find two or three illegal contacts that, like, should have been called and weren't called, and I I think the the element of luck is when those happen, right? You—a ref can't necessarily control when their misses come, right? Which ones they have—I mean, maybe they can if they're, like, corrupt and they got money on the game or whatever, but (laughs) conspiracy theories aside— it's difficult, like, you can't control when that kind of thing happens, right? And I think the same goes for, like, mistakes, too. This is where I think, like, the, the, like, I think this explains a lot of the variance in things, the, kind of, that inexplicable luck, the, the reason that you can have 300 yards one game and 100 yards the next game passing, the reason you can have, you know, one phenomenal five-sack game and then disappear for four games, is just because the distribution, like, the way your good plays and bad plays are distributed, I think is pretty random. How many there are of each is up to how good you are right but when they happen and how they're distributed is like kind of random and I think the same happens for, like, the bad calls, right? There was an illegal contact uh, later in the game on the Colts that happened in a totally inconsequential uh, situation. There was another one later in the game on the Vikings that happened in, in a, like, it was, like, first and ten, and and the, the play was complete, it was declined or whatever. And when, when you commit those illegal contact penalties, they obviously have a, a much lesser impact than one that converts a third down that would have been a stop, or one that is missed that ends up leading to, a, like, a game-altering safety and since the impact of those is like so tied to game situation and the game situation that they happen in is random, it kind of means that the impact that penalties have is a complete factor of luck. And I would imagine that if you found a way to study that, I don't even know how you'd go about, like, doing a study on that, like, mathematically or whatever, but I imagine if you did, if you found a way, you would probably find a really low correlation, like, week to week and year to year on, like, the impact that a team's penalties had. Which means that it's random, and it's totally a roll of the dice. And so, again, it sounds like very much like excuse-making, and there was lots about the Vikings that was dreadfully bad, like explained in the first segment— but this seemed like a, a factor of luck that exacerbated things that I would not expect to continue. You know, the the, the refing was bad, the officiating was bad, I don't think is going to be as bad next week, and since the bad officiating affected the Vikings adversely, that's just a thing that probably is going to get better and a reason that we can maybe look forward to a, a better outcome. Maybe not necessarily wins, maybe they're still too bad to, like, win games all the time, but it should help, Right. But hey, who knows, right? Football is super hard to predict. And in that spirit, this episode is brought to you by MyBookie. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code LOCKEDON and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. All right. So for this last part of the show, I want to address a conversation that I've kind of been seeing throughout the, the Vikings grieving process that we've all been going through. I want to address a conversation that we've been having about the play calling. Because I, it's easy to see a lot of like to get really sucked up in all the platitudes because you can kind of say them whenever. Um, but what I've seen is a lot of, you know, like the Vikings are too old school and they're too stubborn and unwilling to change and all this stuff. And really, anytime there is poor offense and you want to blame the play caller for it, the criticisms are always going to be the same, whether or not they are true. They are too old. They're unwilling to change. It's the, the game has passed them by. And, you know, even if it's somebody that's like relatively young, you'll still like hear that kind of thing about them. And I think we got to be careful with that sort of analysis. If you're going to try to make that point, I think you have to back it up because that is a jet, like a, a good point about some people. I would say like Mike McCarthy, when he was with the Packers, I, it seems like he's like updated his stuff, like in his year off. Uh, but when he was with the Packers, he, they ran a really old, outdated sort of offense, which a bunch of like, with a bunch of like ISO routes, and it looked like something from the 90s that didn't really like really, you know, utilize too many concepts or, you know, really put their players in a position just a bit more in a position where they had to win one-on-one or the play would fall apart and it like put way too much pressure on players that weren't, you know, their best players. And I think, you know, ask any Packers fan and they would probably say that that was one of the reasons that Mike McCarthy ended up getting fired, you know, a couple years ago. and so if we are going to like ask that question of Gary Kubiak and his off I mean for one a lot of people are like Mike Zimmer's offense this is not Mike Zimmer's offense he's a defensive coach and I know that there's a lot of hey about like you want an offensive coach and not a defensive coach because if you have a defensive coach you know you you're going to lose a coordinator pretty much all the time right they're either good and they get hired away or they're bad and they get fired and they have to be like ex- exceedingly mediocre to stick around and you can't you don't really want exceedingly mediocre right so there is that kind of thing I- the same thing applies if you have an offensive coach and it happens to your defensive coordinator. Uh, Like that happened to the Ravens a whole bunch back in the day. But I do think that if the Vikings so chose, they've kind of found a way around that problem in Gary Kubiak because Gary Kubiak won't take a head coaching job. And so he kind of has the highest position that he would want. But let's be honest, any criticism of the offense is a criticism of Kubiak more than it is a criticism of Mike Zimmer. We can criticize Zimmer's defense all the time because it's getting run up and they're like way too attached to Shamar Stefan. There's all kinds of stuff we can be upset about with Mike Zimmer. And I don't think we need to like apply to him something that he has, I would say, wisely delegated. That's not his strong suit. You're never going to get a coach that's strong at both offense and defense because you got to come up through one side or the other. And you should delegate the other side to somebody who, you know, knows more than you. And that's Gary Kubiak. I don't think like I don't really see a problem considering conceptually with doing that except for the problem of like it's hard to maintain continuity but it seems like they've kind of found a, a corner case in a way to get around that so i don't think that like that setup is particularly problematic the thing is the offense hasn't produced. There's been a lot of problems. And I think after watching all the tape and looking at, you know, the more in-depth stuff about both of these games, I I can come away with a little bit more of a theory of why that is happening. And I don't think it's a bad scheme. I've seen people say some really, really wrong stuff. I've seen some takes about how like Gary Kubiak went away from what was working last year. That could not be more incorrect. They are running the exact same thing that they ran last year. And that is exactly what I would have done too. If I had a year like 2019, you had a, a top 10 offense. A whole bunch of deep production. I'm gonna go try to figure out a way to repeat that outcome. It was a good outcome. You got a top 10 offense. I don't wanna do that again. There's a criticism that like they haven't fed Dalvin Cook enough, which has been largely a factor of game situation. They've been chasing the game uh both of these games for like most of it. So having like a really high uh run percentage is not that great. They are also one of the most run heavy team. I think they actually are the most run heavy team in the league on early downs, but like that is not a criticism. Like if anything, they should be passing more on early downs, and then they can get into a game situation where they don't have to be throwing all the time and chasing the game all the time because they're down two scores in the third quarter. And I think the idea that the scheme is like outdated, I have levied that criticism before, but I've levied it in a sort of a different context where I said, you know, this is an outdated version of the zone scheme because Gary Kubiak has run it this way for a very long time. There is a a thing that came out, I want to say from Seth Walder, uh, who does a lot of the next gen stat stuff, and he kind of compiled a motion at the snap. And basically, who uses the most motion at the snap? They've found a really, really great advantage that is generated by motion at the snap. This is not pre-snap motion. This is not, you know, a, a wide receiver goes from outside to inside to give you a man's own indicator. This is at the snap. So, stuff like jet motion or, like, in-around kind of motion or the kind of thing where, like, uh, a wide receiver will sort of, like, jog really quickly or, like, jog really, like sleepily over to the you know tight into the box and then you snap it right away to try to catch them at a weird angle that kind of motion generates a really good advantage for probably obvious reasons right it it screws up the gaps it gives you a lot of like horizontal momentum it's really hard to keep up with that for defenders and it just challenges defenders and the vikings are i think dead last or second to last depending on uh if it was week one or week two uh at do using this they just don't they don't do that like at all and i think that's really really bad and pretty outdated, and I do think, so I think that that's, like, a decent criticism, that this is, like, a thing that you should be using a lot of, and Gary Kubiak just isn't, and I don't really understand why, because that's not something that, like, really seems, like, linked to game situation. If you're behind in a game, unless you're, like, two-minute warning, you know, and you're trying to drive, and there's, like, a clock thing going on, you're in a no huddle, you can have, like, a, a jet sweep sort of fake. I guess he can't fake it if you never run it and they really only ran it with digs so maybe they don't think they have the horses for it but I kind of disagree with that I mean BC Johnson ran like a 4-5 maybe wouldn't do it with him uh, but I mean Adam Thielen is plenty fast yeah, Justin Jefferson ran a 4-4-3 you've got Dalvin Cook he's fast like you got guys that could like do this for you so I certainly agree with that criticism but the idea that their entire scheme is outdated I think is wrong because they use the same scheme that the Packers put up 240 burgers in a row including one on the Vikings this scheme that uh, Tennessee uses in their 2-0, and they their offense has looked pretty nice. It was weird on, on the Monday night game, but they went up against Jacksonville, put up a 30 burger. They use that scheme in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, who is kind of seen as the, the god of it right now, and he came up under Kubiak. Sean McVay came up under the same tree. So those are like a lot of successful offenses and the Vikings are not a successful one. And I think that there are reasons for that, that are more linked to execution than scheme. But if you had to like put a gun to my head and say, is it the players or the coaches is a hundred percent, the players you have bowl, well, BC Johnson just not getting open enough. Kirk cousins is throwing inaccurately. He's been inaccurate. He he was inaccurate deep. I think a lot of that is timing. You know, it can look like he threw to the wrong place and it's really that he threw us, you know, a step or two late. Uh, there was one, uh, the, the out to Adam Thielen. And I, I, I think the broadcast actually called it like, oh, you know, you can't throw behind the guy. That's the to throw behind him. And it's really that the ball was late. And if he had timed that properly, it would have been great. And that timing is something that usually gets ironed out in a normal camp process. And the Vikings couldn't do it. So I don't really have much issue with the scheme. I think with players who were playing at least an average amount, this scheme would be maximizing them. And that's all you can get out of a scheme. You know, a scheme doesn't win on its own. It maximizes the talent. And the talent is, I would say, being maximized. There just isn't a lot to maximize right now because they lost all their good players in trading them away. And I think a lot of that is, uh, there's a lot of similar stuff going on on the defense as well. So with that, we are declaring a moratorium on the Colts game, we'll talk about the bowl predictions on Friday and stuff when we do all that. But that's going to be the only Colts game stuff that we are going to go in depth about. Where we're crumpling it up, we're throwing it out, and we're burning the trash can. And we're going to move on to the Tennessee Titans tomorrow and Friday. Tomorrow, I actually have two really cool interviews lined up. There is the crossover Thursday, which we're doing every Thursday, where I'm bringing on Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans. We're going to talk about it. Uh, I said some things about the Titans that he did not like on Locked On NFL uh, last week, so we're probably going to fight about that. You should go listen to that so you can uh, bone up. On, on the take that I had, but I also have another cool one that I'm going to keep a secret from you, and hopefully it turns out as cool as I think. Today's episode has been brought to you by NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. I will see you all tomorrow for Crossover Thursday, and we're going to start talking about the upcoming Titans game, and as always, skull.